I, I didn't even think of a an opening. I was gonna play the whole uh, the scream thing where it was like nobody gives a fuck about see. movies. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. I think this is the intro. <laughs> is it like a theme song playing, or do we dance? Oh, it's coming. Don't worry. Okay. Oh yeah, we do an intro by the way, and then we play the song, and then we have the song. Man, Kevin. So this is our intro at this point. <laughs> <laughs> here we go. Yeah. Ready? One, two, three. We're very organized here. We're doing um, great. <laughs> but anyway, lots to talk about. Hey, everyone is part of the family at this point. It did be my fan fiction idea that I had. So this movie was garbage. You are a monster beyond all belief. Put them all in the thing and let them do the thing. You know what I mean? How? Oh, you're lucky to have me back. <laughs> you're never going to get 60 million people because you're not a Super Bowl. Shut up. So chaotic. Welcome to the Guy at the Movies podcast. I am Joe, he is Sean, and we are joined once again by Scream Man himself, Ghostface himself, I should say. Kevin, <laughs> what's going on? Hey guys, good to be back. Kevin, it's an audio podcast, so if you're waving, they're not going to hear that. <laughs> oh, I think it's I great. waving. <laughs> he also has the Ghostface shirt for the sake of the audio podcast, so he's, <laughs> he's <laughs> respecting the medium. I like it. He's killing it, if you would. Uh, <laughs> Putting we, myself after in the mindset. Off, yeah, right. I could see you. I could see you being revealed as Ghostface. I won't lie. You'll you'd have that Dermot Moroni craze, but you know. Yeah, give me three years and four more screams, and I'll be ready. That's it. Yes, <laughs> you'd probably have better acting than Dermot Moroni, but um... <laughs> <laughs> someone was like Dermot Moroni. Yo, he just was giving it away. It was spoiler. He was giving it away because you know the way he was acting. I'm like, have you seen any of his other movies? Like that's him in every movie, <laughs> or any um, of the other scream too. We'll get into that's yeah we're yeah we'll, we gotta get that. it's we're we're off and running baby we're off and running off and running we are going to talk about Scream Six today after a week off so welcome back to the podcast Kevin it's been a while um, we all got together to talk about Scream movies um, for you know what was it last year or the year the year before I think it was actually two years ago oh my god it's been so long <laughs> time is definitely the circle yeah i have no concept of it anymore yeah absolutely but what have you been up to since anything good that you've watched recently uh you know watching lots of movies uh, i saw cocaine bear last night uh you know not not enough cocaine or bear for me but it was still pretty great <laughs> uh <laughs> um what else scream six i watched rewatched scream five i uh, saw this long doc on youtube hypernormalization by adam curtis that's been about it you know wow what is hypernormalization about oh oh man adam <laughs> curtis is <laughs> he's this uh, guy that works for the bbc a lot makes documentaries uses um like john wilson how to type like found footage but it's all like about how we got here in this messed up place that we are now starts in like the 60s or 70s well, that sounds really encouraging and um, <laughs> something I want to watch on a Saturday morning. <laughs> yeah, honestly, if you want to watch a, a four and a half hour doc about messed up politics uh, and weird found footage, um, it's free on YouTube. So. That movie was designed in a lab for you, Kev. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's extremely my stuff. Oh, man. All right, well, uh, let's go from the dystopian talk to hopefully something a little bit more joyous as we dive into the trailers. Um, during the Oscars, a.k.a. Sean's favorite night of the year, 
the Little Mermaid trailer was debuted, and we're talking about this for two reasons. One is because uh, they've been kind of keeping this quiet, and it comes out in May, like only two months away. Um, they've been keeping it quiet for quite a while. Um, but two, it always gets into the interesting discussion about Disney live action films and sort of if like this is too much and what they're doing. Um, but let's start off, Sean. What did you think of this trailer when they revealed it? As I didn't even realize because I didn't watch the Oscars live. I didn't realize it was a segment that they it did. Was, it was sort of like this segment that went into a commercial. It was a little bit weird, a little bit gross on Disney's part. I mean, on one hand, you know, I get it. They're they're shelling out the money to show this show, and you know, they only have to do it for five more years, and then it's going to be on streaming. Um, but I, <laughs> um, I, it it felt a little weird because it it was straight up like right after they showed the trailer it went just straight into commercial. So it was almost like, you know, hey, this is technically a commercial, but we're also introducing it. And um, yeah, so, you know, people are really up in arms about it. I'm like, guys, of course they're doing this. It's a Disney property, like showcasing a Disney show movie coming out. I mean, that's just happening. I mean, whether you like it or not, it's just what's going to happen. But um, yeah, it was, uh, it, it, I, and everyone's also up in arms about it not looking good. I, you know, I'm someone that is not a fan of the live action remakes. I don't see their necessity that much. This one looked kind of cool. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I was interested. I mean, of course, I'm getting hit with nostalgia. And when you're watching something right next to Sam, and she, like, you know, Little Mermaid was her favorite movie, it's better to watch it with Sam because you get a little bit more of a hit of, like, you know, there's a good um, atmosphere that you're in <laughs> when you watch it uh, with her there. Uh, so, that's pretty much what this felt like. And then I saw the full trailer because it was interesting. It wasn't the full trailer on TV. There was another full trailer that was released on YouTube. And then I saw they're doing the same thing as Lion King where Sebastian is an animatonically uh, like, you know, legitimate crab. And then I just think, God damn it. Like, they're going to do like, it's just, I don't, I don't need to see like a live, like a legitimate crab person or not crab person, just a legitimate crab <laughs> that talks. I, that's just unsettling to me it's weird i oh god regardless i'm you know i once again it's just like i will be seeing this with sam so that i like have a little bit more of a childlike wonder to it because she she'll bring me there at least but uh yeah the live action stuff ugh. remember the movie starts at seven and not seven thirty, sean um fuck you the... i'm so mad <laughs> um so the mad. You know what's interesting? I haven't seen a lot of the negative that you were referencing. I feel like this has been more overwhelmingly positive than a lot of the other live actions. The big, but you're right, like the Sebastian and Flounder presentation has people like losing their minds. But at this point, like you know what to expect from these, yeah, you know. Um, and I'm I don't know. And then aside from the you know racist 4chan comments about like my Ariel's not black and I can't do it. But Kevin, your thoughts on The Little Mermaid? Um, I don't think I've seen any of the live action remakes. I'm trying to think if I have. And I I think the trailers are good enough for me. Um, There's (laughs) there's kind of the same thing that's taking over like, you know, another big Disney property like the Marvel movies. There's this like sameness to a lot of the Mm -hmm. remakes that like, uh, makes them all kind of look a little too bland for me, I fear. And then, Sean, you're right. When I saw uh, Aquafina as just a regular seagull, I was like, <clears throat> like, no, why? I don't want to watch an expressionless dumb bird with, like, one of the most expressive people acting right now in Aquafina. Like, what what, what the heck? 
Um, and the last thing is that it kept saying like a Rob Marshall film. And I was like, <laughs> Rob Marshall, where do I know him from? So I looked him up and it's the guy that's done like Annie and Mary Poppins. He did Chicago, but also like Into the Woods and apparently a Pirates of the Caribbean that I didn't know existed. Uh, so I'm not <laughs> like that doesn't sell it for me at all. Um, I think I you're going to get a pretty bland musical. He also did Nine, which I realized like in recent looking up like, oh, yeah, Nine existed. I believe that might be like a sequel to eight and a half, which is now sending me down a rabbit hole. I don't have to get into, but well, I think he plays <laughs> Fellini. That's his whole thing is Daniel Day Lewis plays Fellini or oh. a Fellini type. I think. I, <laughs> like, oh man, I'm far too curious about nine. So I'm going to watch nine later. Oh probably God. Not. <laughs> probably I'm very not nervous for later. you. <laughs> he also did memoirs of a geisha. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Um, well, as, as an Asian, the Asian that he is, he definitely knows that whole situation. So that's okay. <laughs> oh my God. Uh, I think they're just riding on nostalgia with this. And it's mm. one of the most iconic Disney soundtracks from the 90s. Um, when you talk about like the Disney animation renaissance, it's usually the Lion King, Beauty and the Beast, uh, Aladdin, and Little Mermaid. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I think that's probably what they're riding on here. And it's probably going to do well. Um, of course, they always these live actions do well. They, yeah. I mean, Aladdin. People shit on Aladdin, but it still made a billion dollars. You money know, talks. Yeah, money talks. Music talks too, and I think a lot of people go for that. I think they wrote. It's the original people are involved. The original composers, Alan Menken. Oh. Um, well, May, Ashman's dead, but Ashman's dead, Ashman, but Man- yeah. They, I, I think they just kept like meaning they kept their songs because they also brought on Lin Manuel, who I think yep. is just like on retainer for like whatever they need yeah. to like a quick original song yeah which is probably like aquafina song for as a seagull i'm sure so yeah just or, a rapping crab or something <laughs> or like a sneaky ballad that they try to get a oscar nom for that's my theory he's desperate for that he got it's yeah. it's it i mean he should have gotten it for moana and then this whole ordeal wouldn't have uh, done anything but uh he's desperate for that he got it would have been worse if he already got it. Let's be real. <laughs> oh, he'd keep going. That's true. He'd still be out there. I mean... Yeah, he'd double down. <laughs> he'd want to double EGOT. <laughs> the first he's, thing he's like, next, I'm going to get a, a Razzie so I can be the first to get a Regort or something. Regort. <laughs> Regort. <laughs> now I want people to have an Egort or something. <laughs> yeah. Is there anyone that has an Egort? I mean, there's a lot of people that get an Oscar and a Razzie, so there's a chance. Um, mm-hmm. There you go, Sean. That's a post coming up for you. <laughs> oh, great, yeah. <laughs> I, I don't have much for the column this week, so maybe I'll just do an Igor winners. The other trailer to bring up is Joyride. This is a Lionsgate film that uh, is starring Ashley Park, Sherry Cola, Stephanie Sue, and Sabrina Wu. Uh, and it basically it follows quote four unlikely friends who embark on a once in a lifetime international adventure. Uh, they're trying to find the um, I'm trying I'm like reading this real quick. They're trying to find the uh, birth parents of one of the characters. Uh, but the Red Band trailer came out and it looks absolutely hilarious in my opinion. Um, there's some really funny one-liners, and I believe it's produced by Seth Rogen, if I'm not mistaken. I saw his name in there somewhere. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, this, this kind of like drips of 80s comedy and uh, like the humor is of like an 80s comedy in the modern setting. I think that, uh, you know, having the diversity at the front, having the immigrant experience also being there is, I think all of that, like, it's just, there's an importance to it that I just kind of love this. And, you know, right now I'm just very excited for the post Oscar career of Stephanie Shu. 
yeah. between this and also oh, shoot is she an american born chinese uh, suit <laughs> <laughs> shut up um <laughs> I believe she is. Yeah, I think she is. And that show is apparently going to be like pretty big, especially because it like was advertised while all of the cast was winning Oscars. <laughs> so it was like wor- perfect timing on their part. Um, I didn't realize that uh, based on the graphic novel. Mm-hmm. Wow, that's really great. I read that a, a while back and it was amazing. So that, I heard that's it's a great graphic awesome. novel. Yeah. Yeah, you should check it out. Mm. Yeah, she is an American-born Chinese, um, and it looks like she has a couple other movies coming. One is The Fall Guy, which I feel like we know. So, oh yeah, um, David likes uh, Leitch's uh, new. Oh, one that's the, the, the bullet Johnson. train dude, right? Yeah, yeah, and Hannah Waddingham. Oh hell yeah, it's an interesting cast. Uh, and Brian Gosling, that's who I knew was in it. Yeah, and Emily oh, Blunt. Well, oh yeah, this is a wild cast. And Winston Duke, Whoa. Christ, <laughs> <laughs> just keep on just keep going. throwing more dudes out there. Act cast. IMDb is getting me right now. Uh, but then she's also the voice of the mayor's wife in The Monkey King. Uh, so that's happening. Oh, okay, um, well, she's got those other movies. <laughs> yeah, uh, Kevin. We're first of all, were you a fan of Everything Everywhere All at Once? And two, you didn't see it, did you? <laughs> no, I still haven't seen it. <laughs> Still haven't seen it. I don't know why. It's. I think I keep putting it off. Like, oh, I want to watch this with like another person. I want to watch this with a friend, and then I just kept punting it down until I haven't seen it. Still, it's on it my is life, like microdosing. Sure. You do want to watch it with a friend. Like, you know, you <laughs> want to be with someone you trust. <laughs> what are your thoughts yeah. on this trailer, Kev? Uh, it looks. I I chuckled a couple of times. I was honestly when the premise it takes a a real big left turn. It kind of sets it up as like a fun. Uh, like tamer road trip movie, and then it goes like red band trailer, and then gets quite raunchy and you know uh, silly. And so I think it'll be uh, like bad good, you know, like a, a dumb, gross out hangover type comedy. Uh, hopefully better than and the Hangover movies. <laughs> uh, but um, yeah, I think it could work. Uh, I'll probably you know watch it on some streaming service at some point. That's my. <laughs> Probably where to watch it anyway at this point. <laughs> yeah. Who it's um who's releasing it? Lionsgate, and they're in partnership with Universal, I believe. Oh, so it'll be on Peacock eventually. <clears throat> I don't but know it looks like it'll start out in theaters then. Yeah, it's definitely on the theaters. Um, y'all are limited oh, no. at those mental gymnastics about <laughs> where to find things on streaming. It, it gets exhausting, kind of, when we find like now it's just like okay, what streamer does that studio go with? So where is it going to end? <laughs> Then we're always surprised anyway that it's like, oh, it's on this streamer. <laughs> yeah. Oh, God. Uh, July 7th. Um, oh, wait. It oh. just world premiered, too, the other night. At a last South night. Fight? Yeah, last night. Oh, nice. I wonder if there's any reactions, reactions. to it. Let's find out. Hold, please. Joyride. There are zero reactions to Rotten Tomatoes, which is surprising. Maybe they, um, yeah, I don't know how South by works with reviews and embargoes and all that. Usually, if it premieres, it's like wide open, like you know, they're they know that they're gonna get work. Oh, here you go a laugh out loud, raunchy, joke a minute comedy with an insanely talented ensemble. I can't wait for everyone to see it. It's gonna be a blast for everyone who sees it later this summer. Another perfect festival experience. Uh, that's from Ryan McQuaid. It's gonna say from Seth Rogen. Kevin L. <laughs> Lee says, Joyride fucking slaps. <laughs> raunchy nasty sex positive and at its core sweet and gratifying and it's so fucking weird to see asian people doing all of this oh um, joyride is hysterical 
a laugh a minute comedy. Laugh a minute. That's been used a few times already. Uh-oh. Um, Is this the Andrew Rosborough thing? <laughs> yeah. A small Andrea film Rosborough. with a big heart. <laughs> um, yeah, people are loving it, apparently. So that's cool. All right. Well, it's good good summer comedy to have. I hope it uh oh, God, a comedy in theaters these days, though. That's uh that's a risk. Yeah, Hopefully it, it can is. do do okay, but just don't have Billy Eichner promoting it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um all right, let's get into Scream 6. Spoilers abundantly. Uh, let's make it abundantly clear that we're getting into spoilers here. Um, retroactively. Yeah, we, <laughs> yeah, we a little did. message at the top. <laughs> Whatever. It's two weeks. There's you know that when they um when we did they sent out the email for the screening, there were three embargoes this time. Um, which I really liked. The one was a social embargo, the second was the review embargo, and the third was a spoiler embargo. Like pretty much the studio saying, listen, we know you're gonna talk about this shit, but please wait until at least like Monday morning, give people the weekend to see it if they're gonna go see it. That's interesting that it was like literally like until Monday you can't really like you know mention the sport. That's kind of cool. I like. Yeah, that. I don't. I mean, they're not going to hold you to it. But well, that's um, tough because the audience has seen it by then. So absolutely. But I'm sure that they're like you know I'm sure that if like Screen Rant like wrote an article about like here's where the killers are, they would be like <laughs> check. We're noting that. <laughs> um, all right, Kevin, you start us off here. Scream six. Uh, I'm a little nervous to talk about my feelings about Scream 6, Joe, because I think you love it so much. Um, but I <laughs> definitely loved it more than Scream 5, I will say. Um, and here's what I'll, I'll, I'll start with at the top, is that I saw it by myself in a theater. Packed theater. Crowd was loving it, screaming, you know, screaming and then laughing. Great reactions. It was a, it was a really... Uh, the place to see it, I think, is you have to. You should see it with a bunch of bunch of strangers, um, especially in New York City for the setting. That was extra spooky. Yeah, that's cool. Oh yeah, um, that's true. <laughs> uh, I will say. Then I was sitting next to, uh, I believe, like a bunch of teenage girls who were there for one character in specific. Um, I, because whenever she was on screen, they stopped texting and cheered. And then when <laughs> she died, they almost cried. Uh, and then by myself, I was, uh, there's that letterbox line in it where they're like, uh, you know, oh God, you know, some loser on letter with a letterbox account. And I like had a full belly laugh at that thinking the whole, like, it's a house. like we're all, we're all here. Come on, letterbox. We, we're on that. We're all going to log it. Nope. I was the only one to laugh out loud. Everybody else silent. And then <laughs> And I, that kind of forced me to just enjoy the rest of the film in, in peace and silence. But Kevin, uh, when I heard that line, I was like, oh, Sean's going to fucking eat that up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they got me. They got me good. It's fine. Um, but I thought it was, I don't know, we'll get it. I want to hear your thoughts more about it too. But um, I I left the last two movies thinking just like, I, I miss West, you know. Um, mm. There's uh there was kind of a deft touch that he brought to these that while these uh, Scream 5 and Scream 6 do a pretty good job, I think, of holding homage to it, um, there are, it, it feels like homage rather than like them taking the next steps forward in some ways. Um, yeah. yeah. I think that this one was sort of a return to form for Scream. Like that was something I noticed. This felt more like a Scream movie than 5. I did like 5 quite a bit. Um, I agree with you. It, it, it feels like there's an absence of Wes in there. And I think that's just something that's going to happen. Um, 
but uh, I do like what Radio Silence brings to it. And uh, I, I, I would like them, you know, to try other more original horrors. I think Ready or Not is like one of their best, really. It's so good. And I, I you know, I, I like them in these screen movies, but I would love to see them do that. Um, I, I sort of agree. And um, but I did like the style of this one. It felt like the ghost face just felt more chaotic. And I think it was because and, you know, we, not only is Kevin our scream expert, he's also our New York expert. And so like when he's like running after them in those tiny apartments, which, you know, they're they're a little bit bigger than the usual tiny New York apartments. But I kind of like that's a, like a really solid claustrophobic nature to it where I, I was like, oh, there's one way out of those apartments. And that's yeah. it. <laughs> like, so, so that was like a, a new little part of the scariness. And, you know, I felt like this this ghost face, he, you know, he had like, you know, the big heavy boots again. I felt like there was like you, you felt him clomping around. You felt like they were right next to him for a lot of it. Um, I really liked that aspect. And, you know, he like I think the best moment was the ladder where, you know, he's just like, you know, because Ghostface just grabs whatever he can and he's just an agent of chaos. So he just started shaking the ladder. And I like thought that was both a funny, real, I mean, real as it can be in that situation, but like a funny and real, like raw, like way of like stopping them. And I, I was just like, oh, this is this is the part where I felt like I was in a scream or in I was watching a scream movie again. And that that was the good part of it. Definitely. I think that chaotic energy from Ghostface brought an intensity that the last maybe even two films were mm-hmm. missing um that's what i i really enjoyed by this it was or from this it was really a um it was pulse pounding in a lot of ways like i I wanted to see where it was going i was so invested uh and the one thing that i i will give them a lot of credit for is going into it i was like how are they going to deal with the absence of nev campbell and to be honest i i didn't i don't want to say i didn't miss her because of course i miss the character and she's so iconic to it but it worked without her uh, and I thought that that was that's a testament to the writers and how they were able to uh, build a story that takes it out of Woodsboro, puts it in New York City, does ratchet things up to a whole nother level. There's some gnarly kills in this. Um, it is violent as shit all the way up until the very final kill, um, where which is just like off the rails. Um, and it leaves a lot of funny or a lot of funny, not funny. That's not the word I'm looking for. Leaves a lot of interesting nuggets and a trail as to like, leaving us to ponder where this is going um, and what they could do with these characters, you know, is, is Sam bad? Is she inherently bad? What's going on there? Is Stu Mocker still alive? Like they're playing with that old internet rumor so much. Um, His outfit wasn't in the shrine, by the way. Um, (laughs) (laughs) um, You know, even Gail, like I liked what they did with her, the, the scene where, she's getting attacked and all that and she's on the phone with him and she's like hold on one second it just uses the redial i lost my shit i thought that was great as <laughs> shit um i thought that was really funny there's so much of this movie that i just thought was uh very very intelligently designed for a sixth film in a franchise it didn't make it feel stale to me at all where i i do see a lot of the criticism is in the reveal of the ghost face i think the big thing here was the three of them um, you know, there's been rumors for years that they were going to do another like multiple ghost face and ratchet that up to multiple uh, killers, um, which I guess they did last year, too. Yep. But with, with <laughs> three, uh, it's it's a little bit different. Um, but I think that's what you get with these reveals. Like they're always like you always intricately build this idea of, oh, maybe it's like Nev that's building this, uh, you know, stable of killers behind the scenes. Or maybe like I was like, Gail's doing it. Gail's pissed off at the kids for Dewey dying in the last movie because he shouldn't have been involved. Like, And then it is a more it's a simpler explanation. 
Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I really, I really like that. The, the last thing I'll say about kind of the enjoyment of it is seeing it in the theater, like Kevin said, was a lot of fun because everyone was eating it up. And that's, that's horror in general for me. I feel like those movies have to be experienced in theaters, but scream in particular, because there's a lot of reveals. There's a lot of tongue in cheek shit. Um, you know, like when Mindy's giving her whole speech, people are like eating that up. She says the letterbox line. That's hilarious. But one of the funniest was, and again, spoiler, um, you know, Mason Gooding, who I think stepped up his game in this movie. His acting was much better than the last one. I think everyone was at a better level in terms of acting, except for Dermot Moroni. Um, they, uh, when when he's like stabbed to death at the end, and then they make the comment about like, you know, uh, just, basically he shows up on the stretcher and he's still alive. <laughs> oh, and I'm sad he's dead, and then he shows up. Yeah, and then everyone's like, "How the fuck?" And then she's like, "How is he still?" I'm like, "Okay, they get it. Like they're they're playing <laughs> with us." And I enjoy that and the the whole core four thing. Like I'm I'm invested in these characters now. I want to see what's coming next, and that's different than the core three, if you will of the previous films where it was always uh, Sydney, Dewey and Gale. Now there's other characters I'm invested in. I wouldn't say that last year I was invested in Sam and her sister. Now I am. They united through grief and trauma. And um, I think that that happened throughout the original scream movies that happened um, throughout um, each one of those, they sort of like started to grow a bond and grow a friendship. And um, you know, some of them are dealing with the grief and the trauma in very different ways. I mean, all of them are kind of dealing with it in very different ways. Um, And I think that, you know, they're, they're utilized very well. Um, Mason Gooding is just someone where I can't tell if he's a really good actor or he's just unbelievably charming. Because like I, <laughs> I see that dude and I just begin to swoon right away. I think away. it's fifty fifty. <laughs> it is about fifty fifty because I, I I like I see the guy and I'm like he just make makes some dumb joke and I'm like yeah you're all right. <laughs> like if he turns out to be Ghostface one movie I'll be like yeah he's cool. <laughs> I'm nervous about that. <laughs> oh that would be so sad. <laughs> I I said going into it I posted a video and was like just don't touch him don't let him. and then when he got stabbed to death I'm like well at least he went out and go oh he's alive. <laughs> <laughs> I will say we'll the fake out deaths bothered me. A little bit um i understand that that's a scream staple um that is like the you know like dewey was one that like would get stabbed in every single movie Wait, then, what, bothered, what bothered you the fake out deaths so oh. you know granted i don't want mason gooding to die because i thought he's like he's a fun character but also like once they did it i was like okay good they're you know raising the stakes then he shows up at the end and i'm like oh come on so i you know courtney cox's character i forget her name i don't know why i should gail um you know like it would have been like a pretty solid swan song if she went out like that and instead like they're just like hey i got a pulse and i'm like come on (laughs) these are like like that's the way that's the way that those legacy characters should go out and uh i mean i don't know it seemed it seemed a little bit weird but you know yeah they were kind of subverting expectations there, though, because I think mm-hmm. a lot of people have built up these. Everyone's expecting it to be a trilogy. Have said like the last one was Stewie, Stewie's <laughs> Dewey's <laughs> swan song. This would be Gale's, and then Nev's would be next film. Um, so I kind of I liked it because I was expecting part of the core four to die. I was expecting, you know, at one point Jenna Ortega's character gets stabbed in the back in the like the front of that theater, and I was like, we're not going to address that. Like she was literally just jabbed in the back. Uh-huh. Yeah, she's gonna just shirk that one off. She'll be yeah, all right. We're good. Like, and then she's hanging, and then she's like, "Drop me!" And she goes all commando. Like it was just some of that was pretty funny um, and not realistic, of course. But um, but it had me. It still had me hooked. 
They had yeah. Adam Driver's right. bag of tools uh, with him in 65 where he's like, I have the Distabinator. And he just takes it out and he just fixes oh, he, himself. No, just that little thing. He kept going. <laughs> mm. <laughs> There's like a mil- every single one is like, oh, a good thing I packed my dinosaur murderer gun. <laughs> it's like every single. It was the most. Insane. Sorry, I, I had to. We, we're not going to talk about it. I had to put in a little bit of 65. Fuck that movie. <laughs> Wait, what? Was, I texted you after that movie the other night, and I said, so, what'd you think? And I think your response was really, really fucking bad. <laughs> uh, anyway, sorry, Kevin, well, we cut you off. Uh, I have not seen 65, so I don't think I was going to talk about the Unstabinator, but that sounds like a fascinating uh, tool to have on hand. <laughs> Hell of a plot device. Um, I was just going to say that the... You, Joe, you you made some great points about like where we're going from here, and I uh, I agree on a lot of them. And I think that like the 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 one thing that might be a little you know precious going forward is when you have a core four and these legacy characters in a slasher film, you start to get too many people who have too much plot armor mm-hmm. or too much going for them to just be you know stabbed in one off in a way that now that everything has to feel super satisfying um where you know i just i i love scream because people are getting stabbed by a dude in a creepy mask you know <laughs> like that's what i'm looking for and the weight of canon this is something that's plaguing like a lot of i think huge um ip uh uh you know franchises now is in horror is that like there's too much canon to hold and it's just getting too unwieldy sometimes. But I think this did a really smart job with how it's holding its canon and moving forward with it. Uh, Obviously, I'm going to see Scream 7 and 8 and however many they make. Uh, (laughs) And at at a certain point, they're going to have to run out of people to bring back from the dead and, you know, shoot out some quips. So we'll, we'll, we'll see. Yeah, I'm with you there. You know what I keep thinking is uh, there's more to be revealed i think about even the last two movies that we've seen you know mm-hmm. I, I i think everyone has created a theory around every character in this movie but thinking about you know the original killers returning sort of in those uh the visions that she's having thinking about kirby coming back um mm-hmm. thinking about like where nev is and if we are going to see patrick dempsey return as mark and like what that all means in the future um and who like if there's anyone in the core four that's involved like mason gooding i still wonder like what's going on with his character chad chad if you will um uh, there's i just feel like there's so much that's that they still could could build into an interesting arc um but i totally agree with you how they're going to you know if the next one is the last for these legacy characters and all of that how are they going to make it a worthwhile film that honors sort of where they've been, but also recognizes that they've been, they've spent the last two movies making us enjoy these core four, you know, I, that's a, that's a tall task. That's a lot to deal with in one movie, which makes me believe we're going to get a lot more, but um, Hey, I I'm just excited that they're able to deliver a, an enjoyable film, you know, an enjoyable sixth film. And I don't think we can say that about many properties and shout out to this blowing up the box office i mean it it following right after creed 3 i was a little bit worried that creed 3 was going to take some of its uh, shine but this movie just i mean let's just face it if you're releasing a horror movie it's going to be top of the box office it's going to be but it's just this one wow like well done scream six good job yeah. on the marketing department yeah that marketing was insane it's very good <laughs> like, well what what are you, what was 
what was special about it? Because I didn't they, really see much. They were releasing new posters like every day. Um, and they were, oh. I think, utilizing like fan art and all kinds of stuff to, to build all that. Um, but then they did a lot of crossovers with other um, properties. Like one of them was Reno 911. Did a really <laughs> funny one, which I thought was hilarious. Um, but even just their social media presence, the uh, posts that they would put on like Instagram and stuff and the different, the commercials, the way that they were cut and delivered. Um, they really, you could tell that they knew they had a hit on their mm -hmm. hands and that it was going to be successful. And I think that's, you know, that's the right way to do it. It was also a very modern campaign. It wasn't just mm -hmm. like drop, drop a trailer and like hope people see it. Um, they were really hitting you from every angle, but in creative ways, which was cool. Yeah, the most I, makes me think of uh, Smile because that's the most oh, creative geez. campaign yeah. I think I've, I can remember because I was watching a the Mets game live <laughs> yeah. where that woman was. And literally, I'm in like, you know, four different Mets group chats and I'm texting all of them like, hey, y'all see that like weirdo behind home plate? Like I snapped a picture like I got got hard by that campaign and <laughs> So I like I had to give it. I was like, "All right, good job, smile." Like <laughs> I'm, I'm thinking about that movie still. Yeah. You know, we should mention with smile that the filmmaker behind it, Parker Finn, just signed a multi-year first look deal with Paramount Pictures, and Smile Two is in development as one of those films. Holy smile shit. harder, smiling. <laughs> oh, I hope it's smize because it's during the pandemic. <laughs> yeah. They have to wear their mask, and so they have to smize. <laughs> Oh, speaking of the pandemic, oh, another boy. person that I missed from, watch how I tie this in, another person that I missed <laughs> from these last couple is Kevin Williamson, who mm -hmm. wrote uh, Sick, based, you know, a pandemic horror movie. Oh, he did um, write Sick, yeah. Yeah, mm -hmm. and uh, his, like, I miss, I said I miss Wes, but it's really his writing mm -hmm. that it makes the uh, first batch so, so good, and mm. When I was watching, uh, rewatching a bunch of the Scream films uh, for the last time I was here, uh, I think I also ended up watching like I Know What You Did Last Summer, which he also wrote. And that mm -hmm. is like going back to that surprisingly well written, where like it's this tongue in cheek that we, I feel like a lot of movies try to do today, but just comes off like smarmy and kind of annoying. And it, he, I don't know, he's got, I like the way he writes a lot. And so, um, you know, there, there are a couple of lines where I could feel like, oh, yeah, that's not he didn't write this. <laughs> I'm looking him up right now just to see. He So he did. Oh, the, yeah. So sick. I know what you did last time. Oh, wow. This guy's like yeah. kind of the king of horror. Jeez. Yep. Yeah. Of like teen horror. He like writes teen characters in this way where they're not just like stock characters, but they're all weird and interesting in their own, you know, kind of quirky way. He, he was just Jamie an, Kennedy. Interesting. Yeah. <laughs> he was just an exactly. executive producer on uh, on this last one. Um, mm -hmm. which I think he uh, and the it's also characters based on so right. I'm sure that's kind of a you know uh, honorary so in the running for best adapted screenplay then yeah. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> for that rule that Joe loves <laughs> I hate that rule so much um, he also was the executive executive producer for 35 episodes of Dawson's Creek so <laughs> that right makes teams sense, actually right yeah, teams he gets, yeah he knows his, his network there and that is that was a show that sort of I mean granted it was like a you know a, a WB show but you know Dawson being that film fan there was mm -hmm. that like incorporation of a lot of pop culture kitschiness yeah. if you will right and then famously in season six Dawson starts killing everybody else at the creek in like really heinous ways he takes Manhattan he mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> yeah. Dawson takes Manhattan. Dawson takes Manhattan. Now that Dawson, has to be written. Dawson H two O. 
Um, all right, let's get into the news and what we've been uh, dealing. Well, so first of all, we should mention that there's been a lot of news over the past two weeks. We're going to focus in on a few uh, points here that I think are of interest. And the first one is Gladiator's sequel uh, is getting a lot of uh, a lot of news around it. Um, we already knew that, and I think we discussed it last pod, actually, that Paul Mescal was attached to star in the film. Um, but what we have since learned, um, Sean texted me all capitals um, on Thursday morning that Barry Keoghan was uh, attached to the film as well. It sounds like he'll be playing the villain uh, of the film, which, Sean, go ahead. What's <laughs> I just think, like, he's just so perfect as, like, a villain of, like, just some twerpy emperor or something. I mean, I just really love the idea of him <laughs> as a villain. I love the idea that they're just bringing in, like, Irish actors with no shame. It's like, yep, no, they're going to speak like Irish people. Like, just like <laughs> the typical sword and sandals movies. <laughs> and it's like, yes, man, I love it. Oh, I think he's, like, he had the best, like, in my opinion, the best performance in Banshees of Inishirin. Just because that's the performance that I would usually hate where it's going way too hard and he brought something else to it. So, I mean, and also just him and Killing of the Sacred Deer where I guess he's the villain. I don't even know. But he's such an odd character. It would be so great to see him as like the super weird, like possible emperor. I don't know. But I, I, I want, I, oh, I'm, it's just such great casting. He'll play a character named Emperor Geta. Uh, and Geta was an actual uh, Roman emperor per The Hollywood Reporter. But, of course, the sequel story is not based in reality. <laughs> Monumental historical licensing, just, yeah. licensing, just like Commodus. <laughs> <laughs> the other one who is now attached, excuse me, is uh, Denzel Washington. This was out of left field for me. <laughs> um, but I love it. There's no word yet on who he would play. But, Kevin, what are your thoughts on a Gladiator sequel and the casting that we're getting? Uh, it sounds awesome, honestly. <laughs> like, uh, fun fact, and don't beat me up for this, but Gladiator's another one I've never seen. It came, like fuck? that's yeah. actually a big one, dude. I'm psyched I to know. see your take. I know. I just thought it was like so. I there was like a bunch of movies I'd categorize as like dad movies growing up, and like then like Gladiator Heat was one of them. Uh, like I recently have rectified Heat though, and that's like an incredible film but uh but that aside right i i could still get excited about this especially for kyogen who i think like i've got a, a you know a rant inside of me about how like there's no ugly actors anymore like nobody's allowed to just be a weird looking dude uh, like you go back to films in the 70s and oh, yeah. it's just like everybody's just like just fucked up in the face and dogs like this i am already adoring this take before you're done with it just so you know and and i'm not saying like barry kilgan is even that like ugly or weird looking but he's like one of the weirder looking dudes we got today so like i think he'll be great in this uh is russell crowe in it i think they he should like just be like still be his character like going on although maybe he dies at the end of gladiator i have no idea to be honest with you. yeah that's uh, well so there was a spec script or not i think it was an actual script not a spec mm-hmm. script but there was a script that uh gladiator 2 was gonna just follow him to hell um oh <laughs> i remember that <laughs> that was such a cool idea then there was yeah, another gladiator 2 Hades. script that was gonna be a uh, jaima and hansau's character um mm. but i guess they're ditching that one as well so now they just are gonna be like I think that Paul Mescal plays the oh, well, you didn't see it, but the little kid, so um, Joaquin mm. Phoenix's nephew, and so nephew. that's him grown up. Mm. So I, I guess he becomes a gladiator somehow because he's royalty usually. But okay, cool. What, I'm in. 
What if it's a real left turn and it's about the guy who trains the lions that they release into the pit to fight? And it's just it's like a, a slice. That was of called life the part. Greatest Showman. Uh, yeah. And... <laughs> oh, they're gonna they're gonna they're gonna call Gladiator to a mixical. They're gonna capitalize on the Joker sequel as a big musical, and they're gonna be like, "Let's bring it in." <laughs> Gladiator Two opens with. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm looking forward to this. I, I didn't think I would be, but I think the casting is really getting me excited. Uh, so hey, let's see what happens. Also, just Ridley Scott, for the love of God, the man needs to like retire. Not because I don't want to see more of his movies for his own benefit. The poor <laughs> dude's like eighty and he hates doing interviews. Like, the, like, <laughs> he's, like last year he, he made two movies in one year. I mean, granted, like it was probably like pandemic stuff and everything, but like, he literally like had to like go on a campaign trail for two movies that ended up going nowhere with the last duel and well, uh, House of Gucci. <laughs> like, God, God bless the man. Like, keep giving us movies, but also take a nap. More last duel, please. Uh, and less More last duel. House of Gucci. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, another uh, filmmaker that seemingly doesn't stop is Guillermo del Toro. And he's currently writing the script for a Frankenstein film that we don't know much about. We don't know if it's going to be modern day, period piece, whatever. Um, but there are some cast members, potential cast members attached uh, to a uh, Frankenstein film. Uh, deadlines reporting that Andrew Garfield, Oscar Isaac, and Mia Goth Scream Queen herself. It's between her and Jenna Ortega right now. <laughs> they're they're both going for it. Um, when they when they start a movie together, Letterbox will just rip in half and create. Yeah, it will die. <laughs> um, but they're wait. All they're in... both in X, aren't they? Oh <gasps> yeah, that's right. In... Good call. Oh my Good call. god! <laughs> totally forgot. Um, I forgot about he did X. See. A movie he did I'm miming a swish. I'm making a basketball shot with that car. <laughs> well um, done, man. And thank God you said that because people would be listening and be like, what the fuck? Yeah, I <laughs> saved you like a dozen angry comments. <laughs> Excuse me. Well, actually, they start together. In... <laughs> um, anyway, this is a Frankenstein film for Netflix, which just kind of deflates my excitement a little oh, bit. Yeah. Um, however, it sounds as though, as though uh, Mia Goth is said to be playing Dr. Frankenstein's love interest. <laughs> um, which I just love, and they are not saying who the rest of them may uh, may be playing. But uh, Andrew Garfield, Oscar Isaac, and Mia Goth. I believe did, Kevin didn't you respond? To, was it this one or another one that you said like about like the weirdos and Mia Goth or something? Yeah, no, it's the weirdos and Oscar Isaac. Mia Goth. Oh, is that's right. That's a weirdo. <laughs> um, yeah, I, and Andrew Garfield is the guy who like looks clean cut, but like when you see him in films, you're like, oh, this dude is strange. I like it. <laughs> Um, so I'm excited. I was hoping you were going to say Mia Goth is playing Dr. Frankenstein. That would be rad as heck, I think. She uh, would do Dr. Frankenstein is a man and shouldn't be a female. Um, How dare you? Mm. It's actually his monster. No, that yeah. doesn't make sense. <laughs> don't do it. Don't do it. Don't read it. <laughs> I love Mia Goth so much. I, I, I thought about, like, right now, I think my favorite movie of this year is Infinity Pool, and it's because mm -hmm. of her just straight-up unhinged performance. That's a fucking hot take. I love that movie, and I know that it's, wow. like, kind of somewhat muted, but, wow. like, I, I think that movie is so bonkers, so amazing. Um, oh, man. <laughs> wow. Yeah, I, I really need to see Infinity Pool. I, I really loved uh, Brandon Cronenberg's first. Mm. What was the, his first piece there? Possessor. Yeah, I loved Possessor. Possessor was really crazy, too. It was yeah. so wacky. <laughs> so, so wacky. Um, oh. I'm assuming you haven't seen this movie, Kevin, but Fall, do you know anything about Fall? 
Yeah, I've, I saw the trailer for it a while ago. It seems like the, um, a, you know, a classic like, oh, shit, get me out of here movie, which mm -hmm. I, I'm a fan of, like 47 meters down with the sharks or the frozen ski lift one. Mm -hmm. So, uh, yeah, I would see it. It seems like a good tense 90 minute thriller. It has a really solid twist in it um, that I think is some people said they predicted it or saw it coming, but it was. I thought it was pretty solid. Sean, did you think uh, without I, getting I was I was thrown over by it. I was bowled over by it. But um it, it, it is like after it happened, I was like, oh but yeah, that like it's a it's a twist that makes sense. It's not too like bonkers. It's just like, oh, okay, yeah, I could see how people could see yeah. it coming slightly. Um I I loved this movie um because it made me feel physically sick in oh, the my first God. Uh, act as they're climbing up the tower. I mean, um you saw it on TV, I saw it in theaters and I mm -hmm. I I felt Ooh. so sick. <laughs> and I was just like and they weren't even doing too many like crazy tricks cuz the budget of this was like $7. And so mm -hmm. I I was kind of blown away by like the tr the tricks that they did use and um it it you know even like you know when they're used to being up on that tower for the whole movie you're still worried like at certain moments and you i think there, there's a certain imagination you have to place into it um you know there's a, some licensing you have to take but i mean i i was there was a pit in my stomach for most of the movie and i always have to give uh, credit to that i think that you know my my issue was it was it was um they had that really human drama angle where it's like they they got into a fight while they're on there, and I'm like, we don't need that. <laughs> you don't need to have these two women fight when they're on top of a tower. Like, just you know, there's already a conflict there. I remember I talked to the director of Fall, and was just really, I guess, the making of it really fascinated me. Even so, maybe a little bit more than the movie. Um, I, although I really enjoyed the movie, it was just fascinating to hear about the different technology that went into making it look the way it did. And I, I felt like it was really well done in that respect, but apparently the film's been, uh, on Netflix overseas and doing extremely well. Um, in the UK, it's second only to the new Luther that's out, oh, wow. um, which is pretty solid for the UK. Uh, and then I guess it's, um, according to slash film it's dominating the top 10 rankings in multiple international territories on netflix um so that has them looking at how they can bring another uh fall to theaters i will say the original one was supposed to be rated r um i read I, about what yeah. i think what you're about to say yeah <laughs> well i just I, I really would love to see that rated r cut and i wonder what direction they would go in with the sequel i'm assuming probably another pg-13 to make it uh accessible for a wider audience but they had it, to edit out the millions of fucks that like came out of nowhere because oh that's right there were a lot of falling. fucks yeah, yeah. <laughs> and they did it with uh ai like deep fake technology i read wow. which is yep. insane like they didn't have the money for reshoots uh, which could be expensive and so uh i i didn't realize that there was a lot of like um accidental fucks that they were saying but yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah they like morph their mouths and faces uh to more pg-13 friendly dialogue that, I did not know that part. I didn't know that. I mean, it makes sense because, yeah, you can't reshoot. Like, it's like back to the tower, everybody. It's like, no, I'm good. How <laughs> many fucks patient. are you allowed in a PG 13? It's two in a non sexual way, I think. Yeah. Or one, maybe one in a non sexual way. I think it's, it, it, it was three for like, I remember the American president is PG 13 and has three fucks, but mm -hmm. I think now it has like whittled down to one. They got no fucks to get anymore. <laughs> <laughs> okay. You know, we're here. We're having a good time. 
I'm still yeah, caught up on how there could be a twist in a movie that's just about people in a high up place. Like, is it not it. that high? <laughs> I, up? I don't want to say much more. No, I don't want to see it now. Is yeah. it like when you're in that prank where you're in an elevator, but it's a CGI floor, so they make it look like the elevator's falling, but it's not? <laughs> it's Ghostface. <laughs> it would be great yeah. if they just. Ghostface is on the other side of that tower the whole time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, the, yeah, uh, the MPAA says that a PG-13 movie can only have one instance of the word fuck and it may not be used in a sexual context. Uh, so God bless the MPA. Yeah. We would be rated R, uh, this podcast. That's why we're explicit every week. (laughs) Um, the next one here, uh, is Tarantino's new film, The Movie Critic. This is said to be what it's his tenth and final film. His last film, yeah, last yeah, film, yeah, which is insane to me. And we don't really know much about it, but I would just say that the fact that he's doing it's called the the movie critic probably is like his parting shot at all the critics that have torn down his films. So I think it's going to be a little bit different. I think that he is going because there. I think there was a rumor that this is about a female critic from the nineteen seventies, Pauline Kael. Kael. Please God be Pauline Kael. And yeah. just like, I, cause he loves Pauline and Kale mainly because she hates all movies and her writing is hysterical. So I knew his Pauline and Kale. Oh boy. Look, look her up after the description this. of it. I, actually, as you just said that she hates yeah, all much, movies yeah. and her writing's funny. <laughs> she, she, she is like mean to all movies, but her, oh, there it is. like her takedowns are hysterical. Like Hollywood really reporter good. says she was one of the most influential movie critics of all time. Uh, who she has she a died. huge take on citizen Kane that like is like forced the discourse and how yeah. we talk about it today. She died in 2001, was not just a critic, but also an essayist and novelist. She was known for her pugnacious fights with editors as well as filmmakers. In the late 70s, she had a very brief tenure working as a consultant for Paramount, a position she accepted at the behest of actor Warren Beatty. The timing of that Paramount job seems to coincide with the setting of the script, and the filmmaker is known to have a deep respect for Kale, yeah. making the odds of her being the subject even more likely. Interesting. I think they'll Should do like sick. that thing where it's going to be her name's going to be like Ruby uh, Ruby Patterson, and you know that's but it's you know, Pauline yeah. Kale. Like I think mm-hmm. they're they'll make it safe like that. But I I just love the idea of him like doing a tribute to Pauline Kale, and now it's going to be a bummer if it's not that. So I built this up in my head too much, but um, oh man, that, that's that's the one thing I'm hoping for there. <laughs> I think you'll be able to read into it how you want to in that respect. Like it won't be like this is about Pauline Kale, but yeah. you'll be able to take that read from it. I'm sure many think pieces will be written about it. Um, I'm I'm pumped. Yeah, that sounds really fascinating. Now, like I, I thought it was just going to be him kind of like taking shots at people in a creative way, uh, at like critics mm-hmm. that have torn them down. But um, this fascinates me. I am like I also I will say yeah this will be his tenth and final film but he's already found workarounds technically this is eleven his eleventh film because he's counting Kill Bill as one um, the other thing that I noticed with him is that he's talked about a lot of like you know doing limited series and stuff which seems like the least Tarantino thing of all time but I think that he's he'll be around and he'll be making content for us or or maybe he just will like you know just sit around analyzing films all day which I'll I will be happy with that honestly because I love the way he talks about movies. Maybe it'll just yeah. be him like sitting there reviewing movies for an hour and a half and with a glass then, of wine just in a chair with a black background. Just yeah, like, and then there's like a QR code at the end to follow his YouTube channel. <laughs> <laughs> I, I just want to imagine Tarantino saying smash that subscribe button. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right, last story is a weird one. The reason I wanted to put it on is because I think that the financials behind this are really fascinating. <laughs> uh, but Nancy Myers, who is well known for a lot of hit um uh, family slash romance films like something's got to give the holiday uh the parent trap what women want um 
they people reference uh it's complicated on here with meryl streep and um mm-hmm. al baldwin and steve martin i don't think that was really that great but then and then also the intern with um robert de niro and anne hathaway which was mm, uh bummer that but was anyway, the last one i believe right i believe it was yeah. uh in she's, 2015. she's known for her great kitchens she great has a really kitchens. amazing eye for detail <laughs> no it's true you it is it is a <laughs> the set direction and the set dressing on on these films is like some of the best in romantic comedies and i think it's why people keep coming back to a lot of her stuff well it's also probably why she wants such a big fucking budget because uh her next film was set at uh netflix and netflix has since uh dropped the film uh basically because i guess she wanted a wanted a budget of over 150 million i believe even though 160 has been reported in some places for a romantic comedy it's called paris paramount telling the story of an above the line filmmaking duo who reunite on set after falling in and out of love with each other um they were circling uh, actors like Scarlett Johansson, Penelope Cruz, Owen Wilson, and Michael Fassbender, which is such a wild, wild, wild cast for a movie like this. Um, but I guess, number one, it's interesting that Netflix actually drew a line on this because they just spend <laughs> money like crazy. Yeah. So well, they're they like, to- nope, $30 million? That's That's our – we can't. Um, you know, they could just like, like cut another show off at three seasons uh, or cut another one off prematurely and put it towards that. Um, but now Warner Brothers is uh, jumping into the game to try to pick it back up. But Sean, starting with you, like just the whole budget thing here. So I guess I was surprised that Netflix actually budgets. <laughs> I'm on. Yeah, first of all, I'm on both sides with this because on one hand, $150 million for a romantic comedy is stupid. I think like Iron Man's budget was like 140. So like on that alone, it's ridiculous. The budget I heard is mainly for the talent, yeah. which – like yeah, like like that makes sense honestly because you you know yeah her kitchen is probably going to be great but I don't know how much money you spend on a, a kitchen oh wait I do actually <laughs> yeah you know what it might actually be twenty million dollars <laughs> based on how I'm about to do that so on one hand I say like you know that's a ridiculous budget on the other hand it's like this is Netflix and uh, I'm just gonna say the thing that's gonna annoy some people oh, if it was a new director they'd be fine with it I like I think like the, the money would probably get paid. Scorsese, granted, Irishman was a very different movie that was a lot more intense. Um, but you know, that guy got like $200 million, and there's probably several millions of dollars was in a three second cut of Joe Kennedy staring out at the ocean, which like I'm I'm assuming cost a fortune. So at this point, like, yeah, you, you you pay her. I mean, I don't understand. Like, this is Nancy Myers. This is like gonna go very well on Netflix. This is a Nancy, a new Nancy Myers movie, a Netflix original, like. Like, th- this is her bread and butter. This is where her movies go. Like, this is, like, the exact place. Like, what are they going to go to? Theaters? No one's going to see a romantic comedy in theaters anymore. That doesn't exist. So I think that it's just such a shame. I heard, yeah, like you said, Warner Brothers. I heard Paramount was interested. So, mm-hmm. God, if this ends up on Paramount+. Plus, <laughs> like, that's but just I- the saddest ending. The other part of the reporting that's really interesting, though, is that, like, Warner Brothers is, like, they're, this is theorizing within the, uh, within the reporting is that it would be a lower budget at Warner brothers. So I'm like, like, what are we talking like 135 versus 130? Like what? It's just fascinating that Netflix, there must be more to this story. There must be more to this story. Like she probably was pissed off or something at the way mm-hmm. that she was being treated. And, um, but Kevin, big Nancy Myers fan. I know that you run the fan accounts on Reddit, uh, the fan channels. Um, tell us a little bit more <laughs> about your thoughts. Uh, I'm with Sean that I think we just, uh, knit, let nancy myers make movies like uh i i I think she will find a home i think it's like 
the budget is over half to the start to the talent right now reportedly so like that's a lot like half of the half is half of it that seems like a lot to me so maybe at these other spaces they've got in-house talent that will be uh, you know cheaper to fill in or something um i also think like while that cast is fun uh Romantic comedies can also be fun for not having everybody be super recognizable, mm-hmm. but getting some new voices and stars and up and comers who, you know, parents were probably in an Nancy Myers film a few years ago, <laughs> you know? So I, I don't know. I think it, I, I love rom-coms as much as I love horror. I contain multitudes. Uh, so wherever it ends up, I'll find it at some point, but um, I think it is, we're also see probably going to see a lot more of this type of news from Netflix moving forward. They were, mm-hmm. I think the days of them spent just throwing money at everything are over and everybody's going to start to tighten the belts and we're going to see, I don't know what it's going to look like on all these streaming services, but there's just like, uh, we're reaching a point of almost too much content in a way where yep. uh, the the money can't go to everything everywhere all at once. So there it is. Um, thank you. I I find it interesting of your take. I like that take. I would love that there'd be unknowns. I'm not someone that like, you know, wants like movie stars in every single movie, especially like rom-coms. But Nancy Myers is really good at directing movie stars. So there's that part of it that like I kind of like. I mean, think about it. It's like Diane Keaton, uh, Jack Nicholson, um, Keanu Reeves. <laughs> and, then, and something's got to give. It's like, imagine if no names were in that. I bet it would still be really good. But mm-hmm. like she taps into movie stars in a different way. But I think you're right. I think that the, the way to do that is to get some get some unknowns in there and make them stars. I mean, she made uh, you know Lindsay Lohan a star. I guess she was a star beforehand, but you know, they, she she brought something new with Lindsay mm-hmm. Lohan in uh, the Parent Trap. So maybe maybe that can and happen. I, she was and I think Wilson. <laughs> <laughs> she was kind of known, I think. <laughs> I think Owen Wilson was reported for this one. I just like to see that he's back at getting work and, mm-hmm. and doing better. You know, so I support whatever his next move is. Amen. Loki season two will be his next move. Oh yes. Oh yeah. <laughs> and paint. Well, and he's paint. been doing a lot lately. That's he has great. been doing a lot. He's all over the place, um, in a good way. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Um, before we get into rants and raves, happy two year anniversary to Zack Snyder's uh, Justice League, which was that this uh, oh. was released two years ago today, <laughs> as of recording, Saturday, March eighteenth. Um, all right. Let's get into rants and raves. I'm going to uh, rant a little bit about something that's really fucking pissing me off. Um, and I feel like I'm in good company here for this discussion. Yes. Uh, but this is the anti-drag bills that are going around and what I think that they are a, um, a precursor for. So if you're not aware, a bill just passed in Tennessee about two weeks ago at this point, I believe it was, um, that restricts adult cabaret performances, uh, quote, um, in public or in the presence of children, in public or in the presence of children. Um, so basically what they're saying is that, you know, these drag performers are a da- drag is a danger to children and it's suggestive and all this shit, um, which it, it totally can be in some ways, just as a rated R movie can be, just as a book can be, just as any other form of creative expression can be. Um, but this is also passing at a time where there are other things going on, like uh, uh, the a lack of funding to gender affirming care or the ban on gender affirming care, puberty, puberty blockers, hormones and surgery, not allowing people to move forward with that. Um, there are a bunch of GOP states that are also pushing similar bans across the country. Um, and, you know, the problematic piece here 
one of the problematic pieces is that there is a, a, a structure built that the first violation of this drag ban uh, is a misdemeanor and the second is a felony. Um, so the first is, I think you get a $2,500 fine and, or up to a year in jail. And the second is up to six years in jail. What's ridiculous about this is, you know, it, for those of us who've been to drag shows and, um, they're a lot of fun, but like they could, if, if a drag performer is in their car in drag going to the club, they could violate, um, if they are, you know, walking in a pride parade, which they're technically not allowed to do here because it's in public um they would be in violation um what's really really frustrating about it is it ultimately is just an attack on creative freedom but it's more specifically an attack on the queer community and lgbtq individuals um it is a a way to suppress the expression of individuals uh and it is it's pretty fucking clear that that's what this is all about in a lot of ways um, the, the dog whistle that's out there is that there is a, uh, you know, that drag performers are dangerous to children. Um, and that is, there's no case. There's nothing that can be pointed to where that happens. I can point to a lot of other individuals involved with other organizations and more prominent organizations that have been pushed on children from day one that were involved in this shit. Um, and the stuff that they're accusing, wrongfully accusing drag performers and the queer community of, um, but I won't get into that uh, for sake of not losing yeah. <laughs> the <laughs> listeners. For um, those watching on the video, Kevin uh, gave a demonstration <laughs> to snap. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's I, what's extremely frustrating about it is I think at the very core of it, it's re it's restricting free speech, in my opinion. Um, and as someone that you know really loves the Constitution and interpretation, one of the things that this law has has done is provided a very um, uh, unclear and wide uh, a net of what could be construed to be, um, you know, sexually deviant or suggestive or against the morals or whatever fucking word they're using or phrase they're using. Um, and I think that it's going to have, it, I think it, it's going to have some impacts that are number one, dangerous to the individuals involved because it's vilifying an entire group of individuals, group of people. It's starting with dry performers. It's also targeted at, uh, trans individuals, um, and then the larger LGBTQ community at, at play. Um, but it's, it, it's just kind of the, the part the, the first shot, I think in, in this and a distraction from everything else going on. Like if you want to, I mean, John Stewart said it in his most recent episode, right. Oh, yeah. You know, it's what's killing children. What's a harm to children. It's not fucking drag performers. It's guns. Um, and a bunch of other things, but we're not focusing on that. We're just focusing on the, you know, creating a moral outrage around something that doesn't have any uh, logistical uh, information behind it or factual information behind it, which is just extremely frustrating um, and sad to see. The other piece of it is that, you know, drag has been around for a very long time. It's been in a lot of popular movies. It's been in Tu Wong Fu, Thanks for Everything. It's been in, uh, you know, Mrs. Doubtfire is a drag movie. Uh, Tootsie, and like <laughs> Tootsie, you know, all these things that have all these movies that have been around that have been celebrated and have been enjoyed for decades. Um, but suddenly now we're creating it. We're, we're saying that it's a problem. Um, and one of the things that really bothers me with all this is that the people that are involved in those films, the people that were involved in are involved in RuPaul's Drag Race, for instance, today, which is a huge empire around the world. It took RuPaul like a month to come out and say anything. 
um, about it. And then at, even then it was just like a two minute video being like, you know, we will prevail and we will fight and you need to vote. Um, but this it, people are being silent. Melissa McCarthy is the most recent one to call out people for being silent and saying that those as, as allies need to step up. When you see, uh, I believe it's called the palace in Miami. It's like a huge uh, daytime brunch and stuff where there's uh, drag performers that's always sold out. You see these clubs in, uh, in California, you see in Nashville uh, play is a huge cl uh, LGBTQ club that has um, drag performances and stuff. And they are, you know, massively uh, overwhelmed in terms of the people that show up every, each and every night to see these people perform. Roscoe's in Chicago. There are a lot of businesses that are thriving because of these performers, because people want a safe space to go. And be, with a lot of these, a lot of silence uh, around um, or from the allies, not the bar, the bar owners and stuff, because they've been out there, but other allies that are enjoying these performances, whether they're going, whether they're, you know, they have friends or whatever, people need to speak up and be vocal about it because what's happening is, you know, a, a segregation of, um, of one, a, a, I don't want to say segregation, a vilifying of one community once again. Um, and it, it always starts with low hanging fruit. And I'm not saying that drag queens are low hanging fruit, but I think that it was easy. We see, we just saw that it was easy for the Jew, for the GOP in particular to create a uh, false narrative around what's going on. Um, but it then leads to attacking other issues like same sex adoption, same sex marriage again, um, you know, the care needed for um, gender nonconforming uh, kids um, who may be questioning, may need some support because the alternative in a lot of these cases, when that support isn't there, when you're in Florida where you can't discuss uh, sexual orientation in schools, where books are being banned that bring up any of this, where there is a lack of that foundational support, the alternative is self-harm. And that's what unfortunately comes out of a lot of uh, a, a lot of the lack of resources and lack of attention and lack of support. So it really is the start of, I think, something really bad. And especially for those who um, enjoy films, enjoy properties, uh, TV properties, streaming, whatever, where there is a lot of this going on. Hello, we talked about The Little Mermaid. The Little Mermaid, uh, Ursula, was originally, her design is based off of a drag queen, the drag queen yep. divine, the late drag queen divine. So like this stuff has been around forever. And people need to start realizing that because it only, you know, right now it's affecting this community, but it only starts here uh, and it can get much, much worse. I want to shout out, uh, like, first of all, I already agreed with all this stuff. And like, it was already like something that like was bothering me, all these bands. Um, I want to shout out an interview on Fresh Air from uh, Memphis drag queen, drag queen uh, Bella DeBall. Amazing interview where, you know, there's a lot of stuff I didn't know about this. And uh, but I think this is like the kind of interview that could turn people and realize that they are just completely misunderstanding this. There's some people that are just straight up homophobes. They're beyond help. I, I don't even try with them. But there are people that are like, you know, good people that just don't understand that these things are not these like hypersexualized shows. These are just fun shows and they're for families and they're like made for families. And so that that interview with uh, Bella DeBall, which I now said the name out loud and I get it. Um, <laughs> I, didn't get it I feel like a tremendous idiot. <laughs> Damn it. Um, it was a really, really, really good interview on Fresh Air this week. So I strongly recommend people check that out.
Well, and that's the thing, right? Like, you, there are sexually suggestive drag shows that oh, happen yeah. at clubs at night or whatever. And then there are more family-friendly ones. There are family-friendly films like Shazam Fury of the Gods. There are shows like Pam and Tommy. They're two very different things. You don't take, you know, your, you don't let your kids watch certain things. Um, it's the same decision. You Like, if, if, you, if par- parents want the, the right to parent, then the right to parent means make those decisions and don't take your kids to those fucking things. Um, but instead, it's 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 removing the focus from that and putting the focus on restricting the rights of other individuals, which is just absolutely insane to me um, and, and pisses me off. Drag Queen Storytime is another big piece. That's what's been targeted. And what's interesting is a, a drag queen friend of mine was in um, a movie, a short film called Parrot, which was about people showing up armed or a guy showing up armed to a drag queen story time. Um, and it's not far off because there are wild yeah. protesters. There was, I was just listening today. There was a performer who was doing a meet and greet, a drag queen that was doing a meet and greet at a club and she had a bunch of security. And then she even had some, uh, she had security with uh, bulletproof vests on and they're questioning like why. And I like, we don't know the details. Like, was there a tip off of something potentially going on? Was it the club that wanted that? But like, that's the environment that's been creative and that is fucking ridiculous. But Kevin, sorry, I, I don't know if you want to jump in. I've uh, we've been talking a lot. No, I I too agree with everything that's being said here. I'm thinking about it, like how much I want to buckle up and talk politics here. Right now. <laughs> <laughs> Just that it's uh, absolutely ghoulish that in a country with so many actual uh, systemic problems and issues and things that need to be changed and fixed and uprooted and abolished and demolished. Um, the you know the ghouls are instead pivoting to look at a uh at fanning the flames on a culture war that they've uh created as like to distract right and and to focus on in a way that is actually harming and affecting people's lives and making them worse instead of trying to you know fix or or aid um anyone else's it's 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 god awful and terrible um and you're right i i just like I don't know. My skin crawls every day. I call lots of politicians that are not my own to let them know my ideas. <laughs> you know, uh, uh, so it's just, it sucks. <laughs> That's not the most eloquent way of putting it, but it just oh, fucking sucks. Yeah. I'm with uh, you. Joe, is Parrot available somewhere on streaming? Because I've been meaning to see that. It's not yet. It's yeah. not. They're still hitting some uh, like low hanging festivals. Okay. Low hanging is such a derogatory. <laughs> Yeah, I, I use it all the time, and I don't mean to. Um, but it, it's hitting some last-minute festivals, put it that way. Uh, all right, cool. So, uh, but I keep keeping an eye out for when it's yeah, going to be around. I just Googled to try to find it. I couldn't find it anywhere. It's such a good it, – it's very intense. The original – there's two endings to it. They went with, like, oh. a more family – not family-friendly, maybe family-friendly ending. But the other one's more intense and I think realistic. Um, I'm going to put that interview with uh, 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 Bella DeBall in the, um, the show notes. Oh, definitely, um, yeah. He's also an ordained minister. Mm-hmm. It, Which, it was such a good interview. I love that. I really like, that will fuck with people. Yeah. Like, I, when I, like I kept on going. I was on a walk with my dog while I was happening. I kept on going like, oh, oh <laughs> this is great. <laughs> um, I'll link the NPR link. They, uh, they have the – you can listen to the audio or they have the transcript there. So. Oh, nice. Um, uh, switching gears a little bit, quite um, a bit. <laughs> at David Eats Media on uh, Twitter, just said that the title of Fall Two should be Rise of the Fallen. <laughs> I, t- 
I wanted something more simpler, just to just it to be winter. But fell. um, you know, fell. I'll tweet Scott Man. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we, we, got, we got to get him on. Yeah, <laughs> literally going to do that now. But all right, Sean, uh, hit us with Southside. So this show is so funny. Um, it showed up on HBO Max, I believe, before it was on Comedy Central, but it's the show Southside. Um, it is a genuinely, genuinely hysterical show. It's really funny. It's a very um, – like it brings out black culture in a really fascinating way. So it's like not a show made for me at all, but I truly loved it. It is a great show. And my rant, unfortunately, is that this show has gotten canceled. Um, now, you know – Uh, There's several levels of my frustration. The first is like, hey, you know what? Shows get canceled. It happens, you know, whatever. But this show is just such a low budget show. It's um, like, it's very, very low. It is sketch com, like practically sketch comedy, like level budgets. So they could have kept on making this. This is not the one. But maybe, you know, maybe it was a tax write-off or something like that. So then my frustration grew to another level because all throughout February, the HBO Max interface had celebrate black voices and what was one of the shows that were up there it was fucking south side and i you gotta be kidding me you actually have to be kidding me that they did that and then march 1st rolls around like it's a fucking tiktok meme and they cancel the show like I, okay, I understand that, you know, oh, am I being a little bit of a sucker that the cor- corporations don't have, like, the special interest groups in art? Of course that's the case. But, like, to be that apparent, <laughs> like, it's just, like, to, like, I don't know, maybe wait until April. Oh <laughs> it's just the stupidity is blown away. So I recommend right now get on HBO Max, watch Southside. It is hysterical. There's no real stars except for, and I always have to look up his name, but uh, Bashir Saladin who was in Top Gun Maverick as uh, Maverick's friend. And he is the one, one of the greatest characters. He plays Officer Goodnight. Because that's the thing. Like, some of these main characters are cops. And they, like, you know, unlike what Brooklyn Nine-Nine did, where they had the issues of, like, you know, having to do a final season after uh, George Floyd, these cops are idiots. And so, but not in a way that is, like, too mean-spirited, but also in a way that is really goddamn funny. And all <laughs> of it just, like, it just works in this perfect ecosystem. So my rave is Southside. That show rules. My rant is canceling it the day after black history month after you highlighted it on black history month (laughs) so tone deaf i hate people (laughs) it sucks man this is just a this is a bad one hey kevin lift our spirits with a rant (laughs) (laughs) i'm switching it up because there were two rants i feel like we should have one rave perhaps or or a, a moment of uh something to you know make that makes me smile um uh so my one of my favorite bands talking heads one of my favorite people is dave Byrne. um stop making sense is a uh pretty famous concert doc um or concert movie i would say uh directed by jonathan demi who is uh, a god director in my book i i love his stuff so much um that movie is my happy place like when i'm feeling pretty low and i need to like watch something that'll put raise my spirits and make me smile and do a little dance i'll put on stop making sense um and i found out this week that a24 recently acquired the rights and is remastering a 4k uh and 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 this is the part that like is making my my soul smile and and my face weep is that they're putting it back in theaters the remaster so (laughs) if you haven't seen this um if you've been thinking about like do i like talking heads i don't know Please go see this in a theater. You're going to be with a ton of people, I'm sure, who I'm going to be dancing the whole time. I'm, I'm <laughs> hoping it's like a Rocky Horror situation where it's just like, we're, we all know why we're here. 
and and will be in it but like the <laughs> trailer that a24 put out is delightful it's uh David Byrne picking up the big suit. Spoilers, he wears the big suit at one point in the concert uh, from the dry cleaner. And it is, uh, it, it's, it, it made me so happy. And I can't wait to like experience this with more people, uh, experience it for like the 50th time and like kind of grow the audience that appreciates everything that's great about this. Yeah, that ex- I saw that and didn't know anything about it. But I, when I watched the teaser they put out, I was like, oh, okay, I'm into this. Yeah, I would highly recommend it. Like, it's just a great, you can put it on in the background and listen to it. You can watch it. There's there's something for, for everybody. It, it comes in and out of the Criterion channel, and it's on my watch list mm-hmm. when it's there, so I'm always ready to go. Um, Kevin, I forget if you saw this movie. Uh, did you see David Byrne's American Utopia? I saw it live on stage. Oh, um, Jesus, that's even better. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was no big deal. It was just the best day of my life. Uh, <laughs> so good. <laughs> I like wept for a lot of it. I have like a, a deep, like I really, really love David Byrne. And so I felt really special and lucky to be able to see that in person. And then um, it took me a while to actually watch the Spike Lee uh, mm-hmm. version of it, just cause like I had a very distinct special memory of it in my heart and, but it holds up and it's great. It's, it's so wonderful. It's He's such a really amazing well. human. Mm-hmm. Like it's not like I like that they're filming some of these Broadway this Broadway stuff, but they're not just like you know placing a camera at the center. They're really getting into it, and it just creates a different experience. Like I've seen come from away both live and also the recording on Apple TV Plus, and wept openly during both of them. Just yeah. truly yeah. great stuff. And I think that's in part due to how great Jonathan Demi was and how mm-hmm. much thought and heart he put into the direction of it. Because yeah. Uh, there's there's so much cool stuff about it like they you never see the audience for one it's just all of the stage it's also from three separate nights at the same place but you don't uh realize it because he just cuts it he like shoots from different areas in the theater on each night and you not once did i think it was like spliced together it's like so seamless and perfect the set like builds as the concert grows and more people from the band join and everybody every single person is having there's so much like unadulterated pure joy on their faces while they're playing and just having the time you can't help but like feel that too it like oh it's so good a24 is just like they, they are they are officially christ at this point they won every main oscar like they like they now they're like oh we're gonna bring back uh stop making sense and like people will love us for that they are a24 move it's just like they what what yeah what a move bringing that back that's like their classic thing Damn, yeah, God. they've earned a lot of goodwill. Like now, for every like overhyped, uh, elevated horror, <laughs> bloated piece that they put out, I'll be like, "It's fine, it's okay." They gave me 4K. Stop making sense. So, <laughs> there was an article that I admittedly didn't read all of, but the gist of it was like A24 with all this recognition is like, is this going to be too much recognition? Like they, they want to continue <laughs> to like go like under the radar. <laughs> oh, they they can't be the studio under the radar anymore. They've won Moonlight and everything ever all at once. They brought those two movies to a best picture Oscar. Like they they are officially the best campaign of all time. They can't be calling themselves underdogs anymore. And they had a lot of other nominees. I mean, like Marcel the Shoes Song got nominated. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Mescal, like Mes- freaking Mescal. <laughs> yeah, that's I mean, right. Come that's right. on. <laughs> Not to mention yeah. their scented candles. Yeah. <laughs> I is wait because now I want a twenty four scented candles. Oh, they're, oh candles. they're very real. They're they're uh, flavored like genres. So they have like a horror candle <laughs> and a rom com candle. I will yeah, be go ordering to their these, website. and my wife will be leaving me. 
Yeah, they're expensive, so you should. Yeah, <laughs> my wife will definitely be leaving. <laughs> Their store is actually really entertaining. There's a lot yeah. of interesting stuff in there. They're they're very self aware. Yeah, very much so. You can buy the butt plugs uh, statue from Everything Everywhere at once. They um, <laughs> I I now want Kevin to see that movie. Yeah. <laughs> never just see it, Kevin. Merch. Just let that simmer. Hot dog <laughs> fingers and butt plugs. <laughs> I they they recently auctioned off a lot of the props from everything everyone mm-hmm. wants for charity. So then you know, of course, you know the cynic in me is just like, well, they did that for the campaign for the Oscars. I mean, still like goodwill Probably. all around. Mm-hmm. Did you see Jamie Lee Curtis posted a picture of uh, her Oscar, the SAG, and then in between was the butt plug trophy? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, two bits of news before we uh, wrap up here. One is that uh, Keenan and Kel announced that Good Burger 2 is in the works of Paramount+. Plus. Uh, <laughs> Kevin. <laughs> Yo, I mean, like, I-, I saw this just before it started and got good for Paramount+. Plus Because, let's face it, nobody's subscribing to Paramount+. Plus. This is going to get it's a gonna get lot people. of subscriptions. <laughs> like, this is going to, like, really put it Welcome on to Good Burger, home of the Good Burger. <laughs> I can't believe that's happening. <laughs> Incredible. They both look great too. I mean, obviously, you know, Keenan, we've seen it, but Kel looks great. I he mean, looks really good. He looks good, like you know, because when you when you don't see a guy for a long time, you worry. But uh, he he looks great. <laughs> I was pr- pretty explicitly remember a rumor when I was younger that he died. So uh, <laughs> it was I'm one of the, like the, yeah, it was like the Richard Gear gerbil. Like it's just yeah, like, it's just yeah. a meme on the internet now. <laughs> yeah, glad um, to see he's getting work. The other bit of news is that Tom Holland is attached to Sam Mendez's next film called Ham- Hamnet. Hamnet. Uh, it's set in uh, 1580s England. The film deals with William, the William Shakespeare family as they navigate the loss of their only child, Hamnet, which leads to the creation of renowned play Hamlet. Is that a real story? It's a real story. Like, I'm, no, I mean, like, is that like, is that an actual like, is that the Shakespeare story a real true story? Oh, I believe so. Is that really Hamnet. how that? Yeah, I, I figured I would have heard of that from. We already saw. Oh no, it's a fiction. Yeah. Fix- well, oh. no. Well, like we don't know that much about Shakespeare, right? Like, aren't True. there theories that it was like six women or like a bunch, you of, know, like... A bunch of people? Yeah. Yeah. Oh wow! Holy shit! Hamlet Shakespeare. He was the only son of William Shakespeare and Anne Hathaway. Who knew? Hey. <laughs> um, that I did know. Makes that his sense. wife was makes sense. Um, Yeah, it's uh, some scholars speculate on the relationship between Hamlet and his father's later play Hamlet. So it probably is going to be you know revision revisionist history in a little bit, or they're going to. Oh, well, wait, those, it's, those sorry. Historical fiction it's on Shakespeare. So by. Well. It's inspired yeah. by. Just like Shakespeare and love, people love just, that movie. So yeah. just like Cocaine Bear is inspired by true events. But yes. let me just say that that is like that is an L for Shakespeare. If they're like Bill, you can't call the play about your dead son your dead son's name, Hamnet. You got to change it. Okay, what about Hamnet? Uh, okay, <laughs> like it's I, just I like one letter. Idea. Kevin, like it, li- it literally is an L. Stuck. It's literally, yeah, literally, literally. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's interesting, though. Uh, I feel like Tom Holland keeps getting attached to a lot of these like historical biopic type films, and I'm like, are they? Because he looks like he a little boy. War, was it like the the one about the electricity? And he just like Tom Holland's a very talented actor, but he did not seem right in that role. <laughs> He's also supposed to play. Oh my god! Oh, Fred Astaire. Fred Astaire, thank you. I oh still my god. love that casting. I think yeah. I hope that's awesome. Like I, I really <laughs> like that casting. <laughs> that's good. 
Yeah, it should be interesting. Well, this week we have some cinematic uh, joy coming with John Wick Chapter 4 hitting theaters, uh, The Tudor hits limited theaters, and A Good Person, which is Zach Braff's movie with Florence Pugh, uh, hits theaters as well. That's a movie that I didn't know existed until I got an invite to go see it. <laughs> There's been some weird looking trailers that are in front of that. And we just should just shout out in uh, terms of John Wick Chapter 4, um, RIP to uh, Lance Reddick. Mm-hmm. What a just an absolute gut punch that dude is such a good character actor he's just like manages to do like creepy and gentlemanly in the best fashion um Mm -hmm. and he is in chapter four correct joe he is in chapter four awesome so like it'll be great to it'll be you know very mixed bittersweet to see him in that without a doubt he also is going to be in uh there's a really interesting list that um deadline has of the movie or the projects that he left behind mm. um he reprised the role of sharon in john wick spinoff the Bar- Bal- uh, ballerina which oh. is uh anna de armis's movie he's in a uh film a keeper sutherland film the king mutiny court martial uh he is playing zeus in percy jackson and the olympians uh, the this, this series on Disney Plus, which just uh, has already finished production. Um, oh, wow. he, he's in White Men Can't Jump, uh, the reboot, which looks horrendous. Um, and then he's in the film Shirley uh, about the America's first black congresswoman with Regina King. Oh, Shirley Chisholm. Oh, my God. I didn't even it, realize this movie was coming out. Holy shit. I, you know what's funny? As I was just reading that, I'm like, I remember hearing about this like a year ago uh, and haven't heard anything more. But hmm, interesting. Wow. So yeah, sad. Portland. Yeah, it was uh, like you know he. I just looked at it as IMDb as well. He has like so much stuff that was like announced and in production, so it's really heartbreaking he, that he. It was. It, I guess it just came out of nowhere. Yeah, he was also like such a huge voice actor and has so many credits. Where like I'll be playing a video game and then hear his iconic not only like tone but like way of speaking too. Like he's it like. He's very light. Like when you hear him, it's like, oh, that's Lance Reddick. Like there's nobody else who, mm-hmm. who sounds like that the way he sounds. And great voice. Oh, we'll miss him. Yeah. They're saying potentially um, natural causes. So it'll be interesting to hear what, what more comes out of that mm-hmm. um, in the future. But um, all right. Aside from those movies this week, uh, we will have the uh, this pod out. And Sean, we're going to attempt to do a Shazam Fury, the gods thing in the next week. Um, yes yeah should you should you get to the theater if i get the stupid time right this time (laughs) kevin you didn't hear about this but i thought movie was at 7 30 i'm sitting on my couch just relaxing watching mandalorian it's like 705 and i'm like let me just check the time on the movie and i'm like running around i'm like do i try to go for it do i try to make a go for it but what if like it starts without i'm usually someone that gets to the theater like a half an hour early so this like i couldn't do it and so i just said all right, you always it. have 22 minutes of trailers. Yeah, I, it's insane. I showed up late for both Scream 6 and uh, Cocaine Bear and was still like 15 minutes early. You know? yeah. <laughs> I've never gotten so many rapid texts uh, in succession from Sean. So <laughs> it was like, oh my God, oh my I'm God. so mad. I, I, it, and then it just threw off my entire night. I didn't take the garbage <laughs> out in time. I didn't like for I forgot that there was work the next day. I, I everything like crumbled because I didn't see my Thursday night movie. Daylight savings really got you. God, yeah, it must have been seriously, that. That's I'm what it was. Daylight savings. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Always takes a week. Always takes a week. Mm-hmm. Uh, Kevin, once again, thanks for being here. But please let everyone know where they can find you and your hot takes. You can read my hot takes at Letterbox at Kevbot nine thousand. That's K-E-V-B-O-T. Um, and that's about it. That's where I do most of my social posting these days. 
when are you getting your uh, TikTok going? <laughs> oh, who knows? Who knows what the next few months will bring me? But if I st- if I put really hot takes on there and play with those like dumb apps where you do the movie picking things, I'll let oh, you. You'll great. be the first to know. <laughs> love that. Absolutely love that. Um, Sean, what's on your agenda this week in terms of theater visits? Boy, well, I, I'll try to see Shazam uh, most likely uh, tomorrow. Boston Strangler is out on Hulu, so I'm probably checking that one out as well as like a million Apple TV shows that I want to watch as well. So yeah. um, there's, there's, there's a lot out there and it's starting to stress me out a little bit. I knew that March was going to be bad with TV. Um, and also we didn't put this on the uh, things coming out because we mainly talk about movies, but uh, succession, baby succession Sundays are back. It. I still yes! it. Succession Sundays. <laughs> I have so many TV shows to catch up on. It stresses me out. Well, now officially that succession is ending. You could kind of watch it all in one shot. Yeah. It'll binge it all. Yeah. It'd be a good time to get caught up. I definitely need to do that. I would love to do that. Um, oh, God. Um, guys, if you're listening to the pod and you're enjoying what you're hearing, please rate and review wherever you listen. It helps uh, this go a long way. And also follow uh, G-A-T-M pod on uh, Instagram and Twitter. And aside from that, bye, guys. Bye, all. The Guy at the Movies podcast is a joint venture between Math Teacher Movies and Guy at the Movies. You can catch new episodes weekly right here wherever you're listening to this one. Subscribe so you never miss a beat.